So you're a huge fan of Atlanta United. And you want Dave to give you the latest insights to our tactics. Pineda, five in the back, are you kidding me? Or maybe you can't effing believe we signed Don Dwyer and you want to hear Mikey Dobbs rant about it. Well, you've come to the right place. I'm David Katz. And I'm Mike Dobbs. And this is the the ATL on Fire podcast. Episode of ATL on Fire. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Woo. Well, um, unfortunately, Jason Longshore could not make it, but it might have been a blessing in disguise yeah. because my internet connection literally was uh, dropping off before all this started. Is it possible that he jinxed us? No, I don't. <laughs> He's think he too would nice do for that. that. He's too nice. He's <laughs> too nice. Something got us because so, we've had all kinds of problems. We don't usually have. Anyway. Yeah, it's been run, run pretty smoothly so far, but yeah. so that was good to go through. That. I have to say, this is my moment to give you credit, Mikey Dobbs, because you are the obviously the man behind the curtain. It all comes because of uh, Mikey Dobbs. So I, I appreciate kudos that. to you. And then I come in and ruin everything. So I'm just going <laughs> to click some buttons. Y'all just go ahead all right. uh, with what y'all Carmen's are clicking buttons. Click it's going to be great. <laughs> and then it's under analytics there. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Like, um, so we um, are going to do just kind of a, a, an audible right here on the, the agenda. We've still got a game to talk about. But before we do that, I um, wanted to just say thanks for everybody for your patience on uh, joining the live cast here if you've made it. And we are enjoying a nice bottle of wine, Dave. You brought a cab. That yep. Is- it's a tree fort. Wines from Paso Robles. Um, those of you who are tuned to the podcast a lot will know that we've been pretty partial to the Paso Robles wines. They're a little bit less expensive than the Napa, but still nice. This is a Cabernet tree fort. Very nice. Yeah. And um, Dave, I got a little uh, wild today. I decided to do another giveaway for ATL on Fire. Nice. The fans yeah. are going to appreciate that, Mikey Dobbs. I think so, too. Yeah, it's the least we can do with the technical difficulties <laughs> for Elliot and the people I know have uh, been a part of the, the uh, yeah, if you hit analytics there, you can see, yeah. Uh, we're, we're down again. Awesome. <laughs> Could be the internet. You never okay. know. All right. My my Comcast is uh, real dicey. So, um. Anyway, we're recording, so we're just going to get this out on the. Just the keep web. rolling. Keep Sometimes rolling. this show must go on, Mikey Dobbs. So yeah, we we did a giveaway, uh, another MLS e gift card for fifty bucks. So all you got to do is click the link that I posted on Twitter. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel. We're trying to get some more subscribers here so that. We can get heckled for our inability. Yeah, you have to be a subscriber to be eligible, right? Yeah, you do. So we appreciate the subscriptions. And uh, yeah, outside of that, Dave, what else you got to to jump into? You want to get into... kind of like the season, Mikey Dobbs. Maybe, you know, as goes Atlanta United, so goes the ATL on Fire podcast. (laughs) Man. I got the lighting all set up just right tonight. I felt it was feeling good. <laughs> um, well, I was going to start with the highlights, but we may or may not have internet. Well, let's, 
Let's give right. it. Let's give it a go. I think All we right. got internet. Yeah. We got okay. It's probably All something right. streaming that I hit. All right. Carmen's over there clicking buttons. I don't see. Can't trust me. Don't trust me over here. Do you want to start, Mikey Dobbs, by talking about the first goal that? Yeah, the the first Sosa scores. The first goal was by Sosa, where the ball comes out. There's kind of three Atlanta United players kind of scrambling to see who's going to pick it up, but uh, Sosa kind of does a little bit of a wind up, and you're like, you know, he's he's not going to put that in. It's going to go over the post, like you said, and he just cracks a beautiful shot in the top upper 90 near post and uh, his first Atlanta United goal. So we can take a look here at how yeah. it goes down. Lennon crosses it, widely challenges for it, comes back out. It looks like it's going to be the Keystone Cops, but they let Sosa have it and yeah. kabwam, yeah. right? I mean, rocket in the top 90. The thing that's so impressive about that is he's moving back towards our own goal. Right. And so, um, you know, as you know, that is a ridiculously hard ball to to strike and keep under. You got to figure he's blazing it over from there. Right. Yeah. You figure you've got to be leaning back there. I don't know how he kept it down. Impossible with. Yeah. You know, we needed that. But then. Great start. Great start. And maybe we should back up and say, you know. Um, I read uh, Doug Roberson's article in the AJC and, um, you know, he was interviewing Pineda or discussing with Pineda and Pineda, this was prior to this Columbus crew game on Sunday. And Pineda was saying that he was close to having our ideal lineup. And so when I saw the lineup, I nearly fell on the floor. So those of you who remember um, the previous game, we started with four in the back, one in the center midfield, and five up front, not only all four Mama, but then Cisneros, right? And then in this game, we start with five in the back, two in the midfield, and only three up front, and... How is that close to knowing your starting lineup? It's two completely different formations. Um, What do you feel about that? Uh, Again, it is the continual inconsistency. We are well beyond the halfway point of the year. We are in desperation mode to get a win at every single turn. And yet again, he changes up the formation. Five in the back. And who's in the middle the guy who, in my mind, has the least credibility to uh, to play Amar Sedek. <laughs> Our favorite player, when Amar you, Sedek. When you have so many other options, you can put in a talented player like Moreno. You can have uh, have a more defensive posture with Ibarra. Ibarra. It, it, right Jose next to Jose Tu. I, I just don't get it. Um, and uh, yeah, I think our, our I think our live stream is gone, Carmen. We can yeah. just kind of kiss that goodbye. I think, Alrighty. unfortunately. We will reboot and just use the recording. Um, so, yeah, I am just shocked. At, you know, I only read the headline from the AJC article that you had sent. And it's just, again, why, you know, it's not the team. It's not the roster. It is really simply putting this team in the best position to play cohesively. I mean, you can tinker a little bit. Yeah. But at this point in the season, like the formation should be the same. It's one thing to take attacker off and play with another center midfielder on the road. That makes some sort of sense. You know, Columbus is a good team. You're on the road, you know, whatever. But to go from, you know, four, one, five to five, two, three. I mean, this is a wholesale change. Yeah. 
right? Um, including changing the way you're, you're, you're defending in the back with five versus four, um, changing the way you have a midfield set up with two versus one. I mean, it, it's just night and day. So it strikes me as a coach who has no idea what, what the, the best lineup is. So, well, let me play devil's advocate for a second, right? Okay. So for the viewers of this game, and I, and I will agree, I felt like the team did look very good. They looked comfortable the first half. I'm talking yep. about the first half. Yeah. They looked like they were winning it at half field, cycling it up to Almada and Araujo, and, and we were getting pressure. Um, yeah. What I was going to say is that, in my opinion, if you're going to be incredibly committed to um, the outside backs bombing forward and getting so high up the field, which if there's one thing that's been consistent about Pineda the whole year is outside back so far up high up the field. And all these commentators, we've seen it on the national broadcast with Tyler Menu, seen it on the Fox uh, FS1 broadcast with Stuart Holden, right? They're all talking about how the outside backs are so high up the field. Yeah. So it is very obvious. Everybody knows that. So he's committed to that. What I would say is, I think that's not good because as we've talked about it, those are not the guys we want. But anyway, in any case, if you're going to be committed to that, yeah. we look much, much better with three behind that and a five back yeah. because when they're bombing forward, we're not left with two in the back. And in this case, with five in the back and two in the midfield, what happens is if you go to 138 in the highlight package, you'll see what you can do for the first time. So Columbus is trying to play out of the back. And one of the things you'll see is that Sosa is there, right? Sadich is going to be pressuring the ball, coming back on it. Almada is coming in from one side. Araujo is coming in from the other side. <clears throat> and the reason why they have time to do that, Mikey Dobbs, is because you can't see it in this clip. They're off the, fee off the picture, but they have it marked up in the back. Because right now, if Columbus had an easy outlet, he would play it. Yeah. And as you're going to see from this, he cannot play that. He tries to play short to Nogby, and he gives the ball away, which, as you see, leads immediately to a one-on-one -on -one inside the 18 for us. Right. So play the clip. Right, Almada yeah. gets it. He plays it through to Wiley. Wiley centers it Ooh, back, and they an almost score an own goal. Right, but yeah. that's one pass, Mikey Dobbs, to get into the box and get a one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. So, okay, let me take a pause. And here. I'm going to even point out that on this play, would you rather have that ball been to Wiley or would you rather it been to Moreno? Yeah, Moreno for sure. <laughs> because Moreno in that spot, he can beat the guy and finish. Yeah. So let me take a pause though and mm. just talk about the formation, right? So. Yep. Assuming Pineda now with the article, he, he uh, the interview he had with Doug Roberson from the OJC, he says he's found his formation, he's found his players. Yep. Or at least his formation. Was it players or formation? He said that he found his ideal um, team, I think. It was, it, was a common, it was a word that was combined. It was formation and players. Okay. So now, we're, now we're assuming maybe he's switching to a five in the back, and he's committed to your point of bombing the wingbacks up and playing defensively with three in the middle. Mm -hmm. um, to your point, that is not going to yield as many goals, right, as maybe a four in the back that could be accomplishing the same thing with different directives. Well, I was going to argue that for this team, it will yield more goals 
because we finally can win the ball further up the yeah. field. Uh, I would say if you could play with four and still have it matched up, you can do even better because then you have a further attacking player, but that's never going to happen under his system. So I would say for sure five in the back for us, ironically, is going to yield more goals than four in the back. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because I felt like we looked we looked good the first half because we were winning mm-hmm. winning it at that midfield point and in that replay, right, recycling it up to – to good players. So like, yeah, Almada immediately got it and made a great pass. It led to uh, what should have been a goal. Yeah. Um, very unlucky. So what went wrong? <laughs> well, I'll show you if you go, we'll just jump right around. We'll go to three Oh five in the highlight package, right? This is the first goal that we give up and it doesn't matter whether you get, yeah, leave it right um, there or maybe a second further. Um, because you'll see, yeah, stop it, right? So um, what you'll see in this clip is Columbus has the ball around midfield. They're in possession. We are pretty, you know, well back. I mean, Wiley has been way up the field, and he's trying to get back. But what's happened on this side, um, and I think Gutman does it way better than Parada. So Gutman on the left side, when Wiley is up the field, he just naturally in the back three assumes sort of a left back role. And it's probably because he's been a left back. So he naturally can go there, right? So in this clip, you'll see that um, it's Gutman right at the, the top of the picture, right over by the 18, marking their right forward, playing basically a left back, right? So then it's Franco, Parata, and then the, 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 the outside back on the right side is Lennon, who in this case is not bombed up the field but it's still such poor defensively because you can't see in this clip but Lennon's just run right back and where has he run to Mikey Dobbs who is he marking who's the closest player to him you tell me I got bad eyes it's Parata our own center back he looks like I'm marking our own center back right and if you'll notice there's a guy wide open on the bottom of the screen all the way out where the right back would normally be on our left flank right and who's that it's Cucho right it's their best player their leading scorer right so if you run all the way back from if you're Lennon why go hold um, Parata's hand and yeah. leave their best player wide open? Is yeah. he helping there? Nope. I mean, Carmen, do you think he can do anything there? Yeah, there's three Not players. Yeah, I mean, yeah, unbelievable. And so what you'll see is even though Columbus is going to make multiple passes, they're going to play a through ball, which Franco doesn't read that well, and they get, you know, whatever, they get a cross on it. All of that is to say Lennon is so far from Cucho that he never can get back there and Cucho gets a tap in on the back post. So play the clip. Columbus passing. They pass in the middle. It's Nogby. Plays through. Right? Look how open Cucho is and he still can't get back there. Yeah. Right? And why? It's because his positioning right from the opening minute is the wrong thing. He just ran to the wrong spot. And the whole time, the Lennon, Lennon wasn't even looking behind him. He didn't have his hips turned to see the danger behind him. He takes a glance over his left shoulder. <laughs> he takes a glance <laughs> and then is like, oh. But, yeah, that's the classic, 
Yeah, you're not paying attention to the guy that you're in charge of there. Well, I, I you know, so so there's two possibilities, right? One is that Lennon is a truly um, terrible defender who has no natural instincts. Or two, he's been told in the back three that you, that we always need three in the middle, right? That's the danger area, which is what all these coaches say, which is what I think is happening. Because this is what I see all the time. I think it's door number one, though. He's a terrible defender, too. You know, he may be a terrible defender, I mean, but I think he's been coached to be there. Yeah. And so when you take a defender, who I agree, I think he's not so great defensively, but then you put him in the wrong spot and you make it even worse. Yeah. So if you have a defender who is not naturally gifted, you know, one-on-one defending, doesn't have great instincts, it's going to be worse. And so, you, for example, you've seen Gutman does have really good instincts and he often <laughs> will cover it. But even he, you can see he's been coached to come in. If you watch Gutman play on the left side, he kind of in and out and in and out and in and out right because he his natural instinct is to go where it's supposed to be and he's being coached to come in right yeah (laughs) so that's a problem right so even though they fixed it in this case where you don't have two in the back they've still left that wide open on the on the on the flank because it's so compact yeah I mean, it's it's really terrible. You know, I was laughing um, because, you know, does Caleb Porter really have to coach Cucho to be in that spot? Cucho's just like, hey, coach, I see yeah. it's open over there. I'm going to go over there, and they're not going to mark me. So, um, and you can see it, actually, if you go to the second goal that we gave up at 441, right? I mean, this one I find so this really one ironic. we go down two to one. Yeah, on leave it this, right, right there for wherever we are, four forty. Because so Columbus Nagby has the ball again, right inside the center circle, and you can see the left winger on Columbus. He's literally pointing, saying, "See all that space? See where I can go? Why don't you play it down there?" Now Columbus doesn't actually get it out there right away. If he played it right there, we were in big trouble. It takes a long time to get it out there, but when he finally gets it out there Lennon finally realizes oh the guy's wide open and he's trying to recover to that space and so what happens is you take Lennon who's not a good defender to begin with and now he's running out to get out there and what's going to happen is he dives in and just gets beat and then once he gets beat Paratum does the right thing and come over but again he's scrambling to come over because Lennon not just got beat I mean he got totally beat where he was on the ground and the guy was running by so then Parada's got to scramble out there and when he scrambles flying out there, he's not so good anymore. He dives in, the second guy gets beat, and now we're in big trouble. And we yeah. give up a goal. Let's see it. Who's this, Sands? So they play it out wide. Sands. Here comes Lennon flying out. He gets beat. Parata has to come out. He gets beat. Right? And now everybody's scrambling, and Cucho again is wide open in the box. Yeah. It's a great goal. I mean, he finishes it beautifully. But there's the problem. The problem was that slide. That was pretty bad. That was horrible. (laughs) Right? (laughs) That slide was terrible. Now, if you let it go, not to, I think, the second replay, but the third replay, just let it keep playing, um, you'll see, I think, the other problem, which is, in my opinion, Rios Novo should have saved this. Yeah, Because you'll see one more angle. right in his hands, basically. Well, you'll see on this angle, the reverse angle, which I think is the third one, right? It actually hits his hand. 
Yeah, sure does. Uh, it hits his hand. I think, imagine I think here is actually, if, here's the one what, we could see it the most. There. No. If, right if there. he was, say, like six inches taller, do you think that would make a difference, Dave? So if you hit it off your hand into the side netting. So he got a hand onto it, and he, he changed the trajectory that was going into straight into the goal, into the side mm-hmm. netting. So that means that if he's two inches more, that hits the poster goes wide for sure. What's the height of most starters in the MLS that play goal? <laughs> most of the starters are six three or six four. That's right. So I think that that would have been a save. Had he's five ten on a good day. Anybody else other than so five six inches. You would say, so five, six inches goes from hitting his fingers and going into the side corner to hitting the heel of his hand and going yeah, punched out. for sure. That's the difference. It's a great observation. Right. <laughs> you heard it here on ATL on Fire. Pineda. So, you know. Um, Sorry. Pineda's got to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what I would say is, you know, in that, in that, um, particular clip we're playing three in the back again but it only helps to play three in the back if it allows you to match up right and in that case there's a guy literally out wide pointing saying i'm open and that space is open right and that means they're not matched up so dave we keep pointing out why we lost the game yeah but all the people out there want to kind of point this on a terrible referee, which I yes. agree the referee was awful, but that's so, nothing new. 247, re- Carmen, you the, can go. The referee in the last game was terrible. Maybe not quite as bad as this one, but, it, you know, I don't think the ref was the difference maker on us coming away with the draw here. I mean, yes, yes, he was because he took away a goal, but it was in our hands to win this game, I think is my point. Maybe it's... Two seconds before that. Right. I think this so is this first. is, I mean, a, a terrible refereeing job. First to just not let it go to VAR to begin with. No reason to blow the whistle. If you're unsure, you know, let it get get judged. Now they did get to VAR eventually, even though he kind of blew the whistle. No, I thought <laughs> I thought I thought once you blow the whistle it's dead, right? It's Well it, they they reviewed this play. Did they? Yeah. Which is shocking to me because yeah. once you see the review. So Mikey Dobbs, you want to tell us describe what happens? Uh, well, the ball comes across. It's a corner. And um, Sosa is on the, the back post. Uh, I forget who is in front of him, but there's a, another defender in between the two. Uh, Sosa and the other Atlanta United player. It looks like the Columbus player kind of leans into the other Atlanta United player. Sosa has a very gentle hand on that defender's back. Yep. I mean, you can see from the video, it's a very gentle hand just as a, hey, I see that you're here. <laughs> it, it was zero push. Um, and then, you know, Soso is able to get back and, and use the separation of space, which was created by the Columbus player, not by a push. And, and basically... If that's a push not, not inside the 18, then there should be a penalty kick on every single corner right. kick. I mean... Come on. Yeah, I mean, 1,000% an Atlanta <laughs> United goal. And if you're going to use VAR in this way and you have people who think they know soccer and can't get that right, and, like, you know me, I'm all, like, had it been the other way around, I will call it as, yeah, as if I you're Yeah, if you're, that's what I was going to say, if you're a longtime podcast listener, you'll know that we're not the first to be homers and be like, oh, everything's a bad refereeing mm-hmm. and we deserve goals or whatever. Often we'll say that, Maybe we were fortunate, right? Yeah. But here we we just got jobbed. Yeah, totally <laughs> jobbed. But I mean, how can how can you have people that as a profession, right, they can't see what you and I are seeing? Like, how does that happen? 
Who were the, you know, that's not Dickerson per se, because all these referees that, um, well, it's funny, you know, Dickerson is just reacting to the guy flailing and going down. Right. Which is just terrible refereeing, right? You have to be able to see something. And if, if you don't really see something, you let it go. And then via, you have VAR as a backup, right? So but I feel like what's the, he reacting to? I feel like the VAR upstairs has so much influence on what the, the central referee ultimately decides. Did he go to the monitor on this? Mm-mm. Okay, so that's why. So they that, did pause play though to suggest that there was under review. But right, but I always feel like the VAR suggests for the head referee to go to the monitor if they feel like it's worth reviewing. Yeah. If not, it's like the the decision is actually coming from the box, not the head referee. Episode. They're like, no, it's definitely a foul, right? So that's what they should be doing to, to move it fast, right? Like, hey, we think maybe this wasn't a foul. Why don't you go to the monitor and check it out? Clearly, the people upstairs didn't tell Dickerson that. That's how it works. Yeah. And I would so, say that the language here is working against you, right? Because the, the VAR is clear and obvious difference. And you could say, all right, maybe he touched him a little bit. You know, it's like when they call penalty kicks. They're never going to reverse the call, whatever it is, penalty kick or no penalty kick. Um, if there is, like if they call a penalty kick, if there's any contact at all, even if it shouldn't have been a penalty kick, if it was called a penalty kick, they're never going to reverse it because once there's a little contact, it's not clear and obvious that it's a bad call and they're never going to reverse it. I hear what you're saying. Instead of I, trying to get the call right, they're trying to say, was it a clear and obvious error? Right, and that's why I'm saying like the language is not working against me because I think as somebody who is up in the booth Mm -hmm. that should understand what clear and obvious means (laughs) that that was clear and obviously not enough push or contact because to your point, then every single corner kick would be a foul because everybody's pushing a little bit. And that was the lightest push out of all situations on a corner kick. And like Sosa was literally just like, his almost his arm is almost like sliding off of him, not even pushing. One thing I'll say is that in this game, And in the last two or three games, offensively, our corner kicks have been excellent. You know, we gave the, you know, supposedly if Pineda is still letting the assistant coaches rule the free kicks and whatever, we gave them a hard time early in the year. We said both offensively and defensively that it was terrible. The last few games, offensively, it's been terrific. And you could see in this game, it was a double pick. So Parata and um, Franco are both up. They're both going through the middle, and they're clearing people out. And that's why Sosa just standing there heading the ball. He could have scored twice in this game. Right. And then ultimately we do, of course, score, which we'll get to in a minute. Parata scores off a header. Right. And again, it's working that yeah. so that we're getting great chances. When you right. see three chances in one game on three corner kegs, that means it's working. Yep. But here's the but. <laughs> yeah, so, so you're saying. Yeah, go ahead. So, so let, let's just take before you get to the but. Sure. What you're saying is Pineda may have found something that's better than what was working before. It might not be the perfect solution. But maybe five in the back, if he's hell-bent. Oh, going back to formation, yeah. Going back to formation, yeah. he's, he's hell-bent on five in the back and pushing the wing backs forward. That if he's going to go with that, that what we saw here is working better. Would you agree with that? Well, it's interesting. I mean, we have played, I have to go back through my notes, but we have played five in the back 
This is the second it's, or third there's, time. There's been three or four in the times. last few weeks. He's done it, um, and it hasn't really worked that well because it. Again, you would think, okay, when you go to five in the back, it would be the same. But we've been at five in the back with only one in the midfield. Yeah, and you're like, <laughs> you know, I think it's. I think Pineda actually. I mean, he's known as being a tactician, right? And I think that what he's doing is absolutely trying to maximize our team by um by having the exact right tactics for the other team there are other coaches in europe who do this you know probably tushel being a, a really good example at chelsea i think often will match his tactics too much to the individual game did you just say tushel isn't that his name? Thomas Tuchel. Tuchel? Sorry. <laughs> uh, my German. <laughs> apologies. My German's terrible. Tomato, tomato. Yeah, well, it shows you my, my yeah. affection for Chelsea. Hey. <laughs> Always look high. Okay. Did, did you see that between him and uh, Conte? Yeah. Where they shook hands yes. and Tuchel was like, yeah, Tuchel, yeah, oh, look they, me in the eye. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Uh, handbags and 10 bases. <laughs> but what I was going to say is he's a tinkerer, right? Yeah. So what's interesting is it's a very fine line between matching your tactics for the game and um, actually becoming a tinkerer. Like, the other one who does it a lot is Emery, um, who was actually the old Arsenal coach yeah. for a little while and is now the coach in Spain. Um, you know, he's both of those guys really, really good at cup runs because in cup runs, the team goes up and down and whatever. You have a one or two game matchup where you got to win. And there, sometimes when you match the tactics perfectly, right then um you know it can work right but ultimately in a league it doesn't work you cannot have your team constantly change this and that whatever yeah. maybe there's a team that could do it but for the most part you want your team just playing the way they know how to play yeah. getting comfortable and playing optimal for example tata is a super example of this. When he came in, in MLS, it was known that, okay, you do your best formation, and then you go on the road, you park the bus. And Tata was like, uh-uh. We're going to play the same dang way on the road as we played at home. And the year that we won the title in 2018, we had one of the best away records in the history of MLS because he was just like, I'm not changing anything. Yeah. We're just going to play the way we're doing. So I think, it's a long way of saying that Pineda... Right, he's such a tactical guy. I think he's in the tinkering mode. And he's trying to match everything perfectly because we're not playing well. And instead of saying what's my best formation for this team, he's saying what's the best for this game and individual matchup. Right. That's what I'm saying. Okay. So did you want to hear the butt? But <laughs> so he kind of got it right for this game because yep. we are having high quality chances. Yep. But Dave, but. Well, what I was going to say is, you know, um, for all the praise we give to him or I think the assistant coaches, I mean, the reason why I'm giving the assistant coaches credit is at the beginning of the year, he said, I defer my free kicks and things to the assistant coaches. I don't know whether he's still doing that. He has, I haven't heard anything about it yeah. since the beginning of the year. But um, if we go to 422 on the highlight package, Carmen, and freeze it there, you'll see that we have a defensive um, free kick. Um, one thing that you were asking me is, all right, you know, we look like we're better defensively on corners. 
And are we still zonal marking? And I think the answer is also they've improved. It's no longer a true zone. They're playing just <clears throat> Martinez, I think, and often Gutman or one other player, if Gutman's not in there, um, as zone. And then the rest of the guys are man marking. And that's working beautifully. Okay. Remember we talked about, you were like, what's your optimal? I said, yeah. my optimal is man marking with a couple, one or two zone because sometimes somebody gets bumped off yeah. and you need to have that. Now we're doing it and we're no longer giving up goals, right? Here, we still haven't learned our lesson. So here's a free kick from, I don't know, 15 yards outside the 18 for Columbus. It's on the right side. We're basically holding, you know, one step inside the 18 or on the 18. It's a complete zonal marking, okay? So it's the standard, which you see a lot now. The U.S. national team does this burr halter, and we give up goals all the time. What in the world are the guys doing up front on the top of the box near the ball with one guy free on the back post and one guy top at top of the arc? Yeah, so one of the things you'll notice is on the very back post, there are two, because of the way it's zoned, there are two Columbus players and only one defender, okay? It's 2v1. God bless. You know who one of those is? Probably Ochoa. It's, yeah, Cucho. Cucho, Cucho, it, Cucho yeah. Hernandez, right? Their leading scorer and best yeah. player. He's, we're going to mark him, leave him open. So the guy who's most wide open on the back post is their leading scorer and why, best player. Why do we have a two-man wall from that far out. I don't think we need a wall at all there. Yeah. Even if you have a wall, though, you what? still have to have it marked up. You can't just be like, "Why? Yeah, why do we have a wall there?" I don't know. You've got the guy. You've got what's his name on the far post? Their best score, Cucho, and, and whoever the guy in the pink cleats is, who's free at the top of the arc. Yeah. Well, and so what you'll see on this free kick is clearly. Caleb Porter and Columbus knows that we do this on our things because what's going to happen is Cucho could have run free into goal, but that's not their play. He sort of gives the shoulder like he's going to go. He cuts back. He comes short. And because it's zonal marking, there's nobody responsible for going with him. And he's going to end up, Mikey Dobbs, a step outside the 18 with nobody on him. They're going to pass it short to him. Now, God bless, thankfully, he shanks it straight up in the air and then bicycle kicks it. Yeah. But look at how open he is. Play the clip. Yep, by design. I mean, look at how open he gets. Ugh. So that's a problem. That's a real problem. So how... How do you take that from the training field to the game, right? So you're like, hey, wherever the free kick is, right, on certain zones of the field, right, you instruct the team on whether there's a wall or no wall. You don't let Rocco influence whether there's a two-man <laughs> wall, right? Do you? Is that Rocco's call there? Usually it's the goalkeeper's call. Now, you might say, I mean, who knows whether that's true here or not, but almost always it's the goalkeeper's call. Okay. And if it's Rocco, again, maybe it's a thing of, you know, he's a little worried about scrambling over at the near post and he wants, because he's too 10. short. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's just speculation. And maybe we're just adding insult to injury. No, I, I know. But, you know, <laughs> I, I would imagine that there's directives from, you know, the, the set piece coach, right, this, that says, hey, when the ball is generally in this area and it's this far out, no need for a wall. Make sure so. Make sure we are man-on-man and – we're confident the goalkeeper can come out and get it right. If it's yeah. uh, a dangerous cross. Right. And I have to say, you know, um, 
um, Conti, Jason Longshore's radio partner, Mike Conti, yeah. actually, uh, I think he tweeted out the actual stats, right? Expected goals. We So yeah. we ha- outshot them. We had out possession by a little bit, little outshot them. Um, but anyway, our expected goals were considerably more. It was like two to like 0.75 or something. And he was like, look at that. One of the things you have to realize, Room, the Columbus goalkeeper, right? Um, I don't, don't, God, don't ask me to truly pronounce his name. I think no, it's no, Aviva. No, no, don't do it. Don't He's even Dutch. Try. You, He's Dutch. You couldn't, get Thomas, you couldn't get no. Thomas Tuchel right. No. Don't go for it. No. Don't go for it. <laughs> Sorry. I go. apologize. <laughs> but anyway, he's fantastic. Okay. And the number of saves that he made, including we showed before, the one that was Wiley hit and it was almost an own goal, he gets a finger on that and touches that into the post. There was also yeah. one in the opening moments of the game that Gutman, of all people, gets free in the box and hits it and he pokes it with three fingers oh. into the post that should have been another gutman or gutman goal yeah uh yeah it was a great it was going far far so post. if you switch the goalkeepers mikey Dobbs, that's two goals we score yeah right and it was one goal that we should have saved so i would argue just the height of the goalkeeping in this game probably was a three goal difference yeah it, uh, and I don't know if you looked at the link uh, I sent, which was comparing like Shuttleworth, Guzan, and mm-hmm. I did, and uh, and Rocco. I mean, it is not good when it comes to his stats. Uh, it did not look good. No. <laughs> yeah, he's um, yeah, he's giving up way more goals and uh, goals. for yeah. you know for just as many or fewer chances. Winning percent percentage is yeah. drastic. It's like. Brad Guzan's like sixty five percent, and his is like twenty three percent winning percentage. Yeah, like I mean, those stats are. What it makes they are. a difference. It makes a difference, and it eventually feeds back into your defenders. As I said, um, when you have, thing. when you don't have confidence in your goalkeeper, you do crazy things defensively. Yeah. So, what else do you want to talk about in the Columbus game? Anything? There's really only one other thing that I have, which is. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna go over three here, but uh, <laughs> Mascara, mm. Mascara. Do you yeah. know his name? It's a new guy. Yeah, he's from Colombia. Yeah, from so Colombia, the from, winger. He's from Medellin. I yeah, think. I mean, oh my goodness, he's pacey. Um, he's pacey. What did you? What do you think of him though? Well, he should have scored. Um, he was only barely offside. He finished it well. Yeah, he was offside, but it's it definitely, definitely offside. Yeah, offside, but it was a good uh, clinical finish. But he looks like. A, a guy who can play, and B, I think one of the things that we've been missing off the bench is a guy with pace for slow defenders or tired defenders, I would argue, that can really change the game, a la Tito Vialba. I was about to say Vialba, yeah. So he can can be that 75-minute sub that's like, uh uh-oh. And you're a defender. You've played 75 minutes chasing him around Moreno or Araujo or Almada, and then you're like, oh, God. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Do I have to mark that guy too? So, I mean, Dave, the season's the season's a wrap. Um, so two two draw, two yeah. two draw. The season's a wrap. Um, I'm not one to hope for miracles at this point. We're not going to win seven games out of the remaining eight. We have eight games left, and we need to win six. Is there anybody to that, get to the magical number yeah. that's been good enough in previous years to be above the playoff right? Round? So I'm not I'm not that wishful thinking that that's going to happen given no. given the team's form. 
So what do, what do you do as a coach, especially when, let's say, we uh, lose the next game? What do you do as a front office if we lose the next game? Like, and by the way, who is our front office? Boca Negra? <laughs> yeah, we were going to ask Jason um, tonight about, you know, who is the replacement for Eels. It's very worrisome. Very worrisome that we have no leadership beyond a technical director, really, and got a guy who knows how to run the finances. Like, there's nobody who's like the brains, like Darren Eels, that's like the adult in the room. <laughs> well, Boca Negra is supposed to be the guy in charge of player you know, selection. I mean, Eels had a huge role in that, which is unusual because he's supposed to be the club manager kind of thing. Right. But who's the, who's the person that's looking at Pineda? Ah. You know, Pineda doesn't report to Boca Negra. Who's holding Pineda accountable? No one right now. Arthur Blank doesn't know enough to know, unless he's listening to our podcast to know that like he should be questioning other than results. Obviously. I mean, Arthur Blank knows it's a results driven business. And Pineda's record is just not good at this it's point. It's not good. It's not good. I mean. Maybe oh. Carmen can pull up the standings while we're uh, discussing yeah. this. But um, I don't know. I'm it's starting not to, good. I'm starting to sweat, Dave. I mean. It's, <laughs> oh, no. It's I mean, a podcast we, meltdown. We're, we're literally. What's the opposite of. Like, he's on fire. One of the worst teams in MLS. and, and He's on fire and he's sweating. With, <laughs> and maybe going down. With the team that we have, there, it's just absolutely crazy that we are where we are on the table. Agreed. I've said it from the get-go. I'm like, well, of course we're going to make the playoffs. The talent on this roster is oh, too good not of to. Of course. Uh, and and yet Pineda has found a way for us to be this shitty. And this I have shitty. to say, not only did we have the talent, but when we had the injuries, the club did a really good job, right? We got Cisneros, who's more than serviceable right. as a backup. They got Gudinho. Or what's his name? The Mexican international. Oh, yes. I, yeah, I that's yeah. his name, the keeper. Gudinho. Yeah, Gudinho. it's Gudinho. Yeah, yeah right. And as a backup goalkeeper, yeah. when, when Guzan went down, they, like, they got Parata as a backup when Robinson went down. Great. I think Parata. Certainly serviceable. Certainly serviceable. Certainly a great compliment to Franco, who has just been the poor guy, just left left there all season trying to deal with whatever, you know, is shuffling around next to him. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know. I don't know. What I've said is that you don't replace the coach unless you really feel like you have, your you have the wins yeah. above replacement, right? Um, so you have a guy who's going to be a serious upgrade. One thing I'll say. Dave, would you give up your research at Emory to, to take the <laughs> job? <laughs> you know, I don't even think that I have to be the coach, right? Because all you need is somebody whispering in the air being like, okay, here's the formation right. and here's the problem. Like yeah. I could be a consultant. It's not a bad idea. I'm gonna. Maybe, who who do we reach out to here? I don't well, know. I was hoping that you know one of the things when Jason comes actually Jason Longshore comes on the podcast, I wanted to have an in depth discussion with him about what I think is the thing, which is the outside backs being so advanced up the field. Yeah, and um, you know. Not to say that Jason's going to have any influence on Pineda, but he's at least in the circle. Right? He's in the room where it <laughs> happened. Um, so, you know, I don't know whether if he if we could get him to see it, I'd love to get his perspective on what he's seeing as a commentator. You know, I don't know whether if he says some things or whatever, it could have an influence. Yeah. I don't know. We so, need a line to Pineda, a back door, if you will. Yeah. You're good at, at you know. Yeah, I'm... 
you know. Maybe you can get us a back line to Pineda, no? I'm going to do what I can do. <laughs> <laughs> Make it do what it do. <laughs> so I would say, look, you know, um, at this point, you don't make a decision on Pineda until you at least give him a chance to make the playoffs or not. Um, if he doesn't make the playoffs, as soon as he clinches not making the playoffs, if that happens, yep. I mean, I'm still rooting for us to make the playoffs. I am, of I am too. It's just not realistic. Um, then I think you have to be looking. Does that mean you change Pineda a hundred percent? No, I would say if I were the general manager, um, I would be definitely looking to change him, but only if I can pull the trigger on something that I know about. Yeah. Is there a chance that Pineda in year two gets better or whatever? Uh, maybe. To me, I think um, it doesn't seem that way because, you know, sometimes there's a sign. You know, uh, my beloved Manchester United, right, we hire Ten Hag and, um, you know, he comes out with the ultimate dud, right? He loses two games um, to mediocre sides um, right off the bat, right? And people are calling for his head, right? And he, I think, made some quotes that suggested that, you know, the clearly the problem for Manchester United, as really every Manchester United fan has said, yeah. is that our defensive midfield is awful, yeah. right? We have nobody defends in the midfield, right? We've had Fred and McTominay, and they just don't get it done. Right. And so everybody's known this. Yeah. Right. And other managers be like, ah, it's not that big a deal. Right. But it is that big a deal. But interesting is that Ten Hay, when he came in, he said the wrong things, which is he was like, well, we obviously want a defensive midfielder. That's a key spot that I've identified as a weakness. Um, but then he said two things. One, he was going after Frankie de Young, who's not really a defensive midfielder, who's more of a yeah. box to box kind of player. And then on top of all of that, he said, well, you know, if we can't get people who we want, maybe we can, you know, adapt or do something with within, which I would try to do. Um, but not say it. <laughs> but, you know, the and he did. So what I was going to say is from game one to game two, he started Fred and McTomey. And then in game two, he actually dropped Fred and he played Erickson, who really is a ball, you know, yeah. an attacking midfielder. Right. Um, you know, God bless him for still being alive. So great for him. And, um, you know, so he made an adjustment there. Right. But he still immediately went to the club and was like, I need the defensive midfielder. And they signed Casemiro um, in, in the midweek from Real Madrid, who's yeah. one of the best defensive midfielders in the world. So right away. Right. He's identified the problem. Right. And you can see. So so if you compare that, you know, he took him. He didn't he made it in week two. He had already made a change by week three. He had changed the defensive midfielder, signed a new defensive midfielder. And on top of all of that, changed the center back pairing. Yeah. So. Yeah, and to be fair, I mean, I will say all the soccer, the major soccer pundits out there were like Ten Hag needs time. You know, you you can't just fire the guy. I mean, that oh, would you gotta be give crazy. people time. You can't be like they're two like, games out. Of they're, they're, you know? they're like they're, these are the same problems Man U has had for years. That now you, you've got to give them a moment to sort out. I'm but, usually like you give a coach three years. Yeah. Right. Which is a long time. You certainly give them two, and as long as there's something building towards year three, you give them a three. The difference I would say is it depends on who you have, right? Um, you know, if you think you have a championship winning side, right, and you're at the bottom of the table, then you have less of a leash. Yeah. 
So, next year, if you're Boca Negra, yeah. since I'm just going to start looking to 2023 right now. Okay. <laughs> because... He's moving on. Assuming we still have Almada. Yeah, maybe. I think so, but maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I... You know, I almost wish Almada would go somewhere else just for his own development. I I I, I do get a little sad for players like that there mm-hmm. that I mean, I immediately see a, it, he deserves he you know, I can understand why he's saying he should be in in Europe because he should be. Yeah. He he is being he's being sucked back by the system right now mm-hmm. and by a shitty Atlanta United team. It's it does suck for a player like Almada to be caught in the system, and so I do hope Atlanta United does him right. If there is interest from a European team, that they do him right and don't selfishly put you know I don't know I, I I'm conflicted. How do you feel about that? Like as a fan of Atlanta United versus like a player like that with Pineda coming back, <clears throat> or let's say they make a just, move with a new coach. I mean, it's he's at such a critical age in his development mm-hmm. that this seems to be him leading Atlanta United by just whatever he learned in the Argentinian league. <laughs> right. He's, I, he's learning. He's not learning a lot other than to use all the smart things he previously learned from his coach. Like don't run into a dead end, pass the ball early, <laughs> you know, all the things that, that frustrated us when we watched, watch Barco you know, Almada mm. seems to mm. have the right poise, the right. Yeah, he the, makes those decisions. He makes really, well. really good decisions, and if he sits around here for another year, I don't know if that's good for him. Well, what I would say is, if you're a young player and you go to a club like Atlanta United, you have to be thinking two years, right? Not many are thinking one and done. Now he didn't. There's a lot of arguments that said that he never wanted to come here to begin with, so maybe you he know. didn't. Yeah, he did. Um, but I figure you got to get him for two years. Um, if there's no changing in the coaching staff, then you feel like, you know, maybe you want to move on. If we were to bring in a new coach, you would be like, look, give us another year and, and let's yeah. see. Yeah. I mean, the biggest transfer in MLS history in, by all accounts, everything I've heard from anybody who understands soccer looks at the guy as like, how's Amada playing? They're all like, he's really good. You know what I mean? Nobody's really criticizing Almada, and yet we are 13th. But you don't get a transfer off that, sadly, right? Right. You know, you get a transfer off of, you know, these days you get a transfer off of analytics, right? And and you would say, oh, analytics are the player. But in soccer, so much of analytics is the team, right? You know, a great team that creates anything. I mean, there are players on Manchester City who clearly, and you can see it sometimes when they've left Manchester City right in the tank. They're a product of that being an amazing team overall and an amazing coach who puts them in a position to win and do what they think. They have great numbers, right? So, you know, analytics is not just an individual player. So, Dave, you brought me to a good segue to a a mini ATL and fire trivia. Um, You know, dear podcast listeners, you got to admire Mikey Dobbs. You know, Jason Longshore doesn't show up last minute. Does he have trivia ready? Yes, he does. I do. So we're, you know, a good way through the season. Who do you think has played the most minutes this year for Atlanta United? What player has gotten the most minutes? Early on, it was definitely Moreno. Yeah. Um, He was playing by far the most minutes, but he's gotten less uh, recently. 
So I'm going to guess that Franco has passed him. That is correct, Dave. He has uh, 1,995 minutes for Atlanta United this season. He's got 23 starts. And, uh, yeah, his passing percentage is also about 89%, by the way. It's pretty good. Pretty good. So who has committed the most fouls for Atlanta United? Who's our biggest foul offender? This one I don't think you're going to get right. It's a tough one. I wouldn't have guessed. Who's the biggest foul committer? Carmen, do you have a guess at all? I don't. Could be Wiley. You have no lifeline. Yeah. Is that your final answer? Going to say Wiley. It is Andrew Gutman. Okay. Really? Yeah, I would never have guessed that. Me neither. 26 fouls for Andrew Gutman. Mm. And so who, who do you think has the most yellow cards? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> there's a player who comes off the bench yeah but he just comes he's just not a, but he's just is not it yellow feet. cards per minute because yeah. <laughs> then it's definitely dom dwyer it would definitely be per minute yeah but this isn't per minute this all is. right all right all right fair 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 yellow cards um then i'm gonna say it's probably a bar it is andrew oh no sorry it is luis araujo Araujo, yeah, he's uh, he makes a lot of like silly, yeah, frus- frustrating yellow cards. Yeah, like gra- grabbing <laughs> yeah. someone or doing like some, I would have probably said him second. Some unnecessary foul. Who has the most shots on target? Araujo might have the most shots, but most of them are not on target. <laughs> um, the most shots on target. Hmm. It's probably Almada or Cisneros. I'm going to go with Almada. You should have gone with your first instinct, Luis Araujo. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't think I'd have the same guy as the answer twice in a row. That's that the, is that's awfully sneaky of you. All right, the fifth and final one is uh, who's our most fouled player? I still think it's got to be Moreno. You're correct. There we no, go. He doesn't play anymore. <laughs> and, yeah, why don't they play him? We play a Marcetic. I mean, seriously, if, if that that's enough of a reason for me to be a Pineda out guy. It really is. Like, you want to see me go on fire, Carmen? Like, this is like that guy doesn't deserve to be playing, period. Period, period, period. <laughs> Especially because he's such a poor defender. <laughs> oh, I pressed the wrong. What hey is there, that button? Oh, I got it on a. <laughs> oh. I, you can you can hit it again though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, we we're all messed up technically. We are. My bad. My I bad. I'll do it for you, Carmen. He's heating up. He's <laughs> on fire. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. Technical difficulties consume us this evening. We'll get it together. Please forgive us, dear podcast. I had the kids down here last night. It's all gone off the rails. Six of them, they were doing a podcast on like Bethany Hamilton and like Shark Bites. It was so awesome. I've got got it. I'll show it it to you after the podcast. You mean we have competition? We do. They're way better than us. (laughs) I was about to say, they did much better. Who's their producer? I need to watch out for them. (laughs) Viv Vargas, look out. <laughs> yeah, what I was going to say is that Sedich doesn't defend well at all. 
Um, his one-on-one defending is really poor. I mean, he seems like a kind of guy who's been tasked his whole career with being the focal part, being on the ball, moving the ball. He's never been asked to defend, so he doesn't know how to do it. So, so that's why I'm wondering, why was he in there? So, uh, you, you, yes, you said it, right? So you're not going to have another player in there with Sosa to be defensive. So what you're telling me is... I would. I would too. <laughs> Correct, right? So no, right? But but Pineda has decided no. I do not want another defensive player yep. next to Sosa. I want somebody who's more offensive. Yet you have two players that are better by any means of somebody who knows how to look at the game, which is certainly Moreno. Josetu, I don't know if he was available. Yeah, I think he's had some knock, but yeah. Heinemann, if he's even on the planet anymore, I don't know. No one tells us anything. Way down. But I would take all three of those over Amar Amar Sedic. And certainly Moreno, who'd be the number one. If you're just going to be like, hey. And maybe you could argue that, all right, well, you're saving a dynamic player who can beat players one-on-one for late. But he didn't even come off the bench. So that wasn't the solution. And if you're in a 2-2 draw, if you're going to, you know, he brought Martinez off the bench. He brought, you know, a few people off the bench. He bought our good friend Dom Dwyer off the bench. And, but no Moreno. And another thing. Look, I get it that Cisneros is maybe your guy. This is a must-win game. Joseph Martinez is the face of the franchise still. I'm a naysayer on on Joseph. You've heard me say it in terms of like yeah. a, lot, a lot of skepticism. But, man, if there's a game to play him and be like, this is your chance to, to get a goal and show me what you got. Why don't you put the t- team out there to win? Like, I Here's just my argument, this, though. You know, there's a lot of people out there that Joseph is finished and we should be playing Cisneros. Here's the thing, okay? For the whole season, when we weren't winning the ball up the field at all, right, because we only play two in the back, right, then you need a player like Cisneros because you saw, I can't remember which game it was, but... Uh, We played him deep, and he made two moves all by himself and scored a goal, right? He's got pace. He can get in behind. He's not a good finisher. In this last game in Columbus, he had a really good header that was amazing save. It came back to him, and all he had to do was tap it in, and he shanked it. Um, Anyway, but here's the thing, right? So if you are going to be on your heels – and you're not really going to be winning the ball up the field, and you're going to need miracle goals. Cisneros is actually the better player, and you could see it. He scored more goals for this team because of the virtue of what we're doing. If you can actually recycle the ball, as we showed in this first clip, that's what I said, that's, right, we were, then we were, you need Martinez. We were doing that in that formation. We right. were recycling it. So I would argue, Mikey Dodds, Like, How about that ball that got played to... To Wiley, it was a yeah. Wiley. Like, Wiley. Joseph had been on. What if Joseph was on that? I would argue that if you're playing five in the back with two defensive midfielders, you have to play Joseph Martinez. If you recycle the ball up top, he's much, much better going through the middle, right? If you are playing yeah. four in the back and they're only going to be two and you have, you're going to meet these desperate goals or whatever, yeah. then you need Cisneros. Yeah. But and but there's there's a multitude of reasons that you just pointed out that Joseph should have been in that game from the get go. Yep. But part of it is the seasons on the line, Dave. The seasons <laughs> on the line. Yeah. This might be. I mean, this might be Joseph's last season at Atlanta United. I don't know. But give the guy a chance. 
to make a difference in the game that matters the most to this damn club. Yeah. And Pineda doesn't even do that. That's like zero trust. Like to me, that was messed up, man. Messed up. It, You're going to give Ronaldo Cisneros the, the, the runway to save the season over Joseph Martinez, who I, I've been critical of all season as like, hey, I like Cisneros, but not in that game, Dave. Not in that game. But it speaks to Pineda, right? So, so there's often coaches who make gutsy calls and they work out. And then there are coaches who make, quote, unquote, gutsy calls and they fall right on their face right and how do you know the difference the difference i would argue is whether or not the coach knows that the team is trying to do something so if you simply say cisneros has scored the most goals for this team and so therefore he should be the starter then i think you're being naive because you have to say cisneros is fast but when they're playing these little things in combinations or whatever he's half the player even than martinez even if you yeah. say martinez is known and good right so you have to know what you're doing right and you know you have to know are we trying to play through from the back in which case you need cisneros or are we recycling the ball up the field in which case you need martinez so the gutsy calls work out well when the player fits the tactics of the team, including there have been cases where people have benched star players and done really well, including Ten Hag, who didn't play Ronaldo, right? And if it fits what you're trying to do for as a team, then it works. Yeah. It just felt all wrong to me. I don't know. I just... Season pivotal game, and you know Joseph Martinez is... Hearts there. He's going to give everything yeah. to do it. Um, regardless of my opinion, whether he might obviously be, you know, one third of the player he was, I think he would have made a huge difference in that game. One thing I think is almost laughable, right? You still hear it on all the commentators and things. And I'm not saying the commentators are getting it wrong, but you hear them saying, and it must be coming from Pineda that we are trying to press. So if you are trying to press in the current form, you'd say Cisneros is, you know, you know, healthier, younger, um, maybe faster, right? Maybe he can press more. You see him tracking back. Martinez is not tracking back lately, whether that's the ACL or whether that's his attitude or whether that whatever yeah. it is, he's just not, that's not what he's doing. Yeah. So you could argue that if you're going to press, then again, Cisneros is a better call. Right. But here's the thing. This team, despite what they've looked like at times where they've tried to do things to press. Right. The press has not worked all year, including even when you saw them win the ball here. Right. That wasn't a press that worked. Right. That was occasionally that was having five back and getting it matched up. And the reason why the press doesn't work. And I will say this till I'm blue in the face. You hear coaches all the time, they talk about the press. I need this player for the press because they're a better presser. Yeah, sort of. What you need for a press is you need players matched up out of the back. If you take away the early outlet ball, then you can press. If you do not take away the early outlet ball, it don't matter how much. You know, when we showed that clip... Right where right. we turned over the ball. Yeah, he was, had all day to look he, up. He was looking up, but the if back, he had the, an option, the then back, it, the back three had it covered, and he was like, "Uh oh, I got to play it short." And then he made makes a bad pass. We were talking about this in the last game that we went to at the Benz. We were watching Parada, right? 
and Barada because there was only ever two in the back, right? That game we played four in the back, and the two guys were still bombing up the front. And Parada was so nervous. He, you know, if this were you and me, right, him, you yeah. know, maybe you won't hear me from the microphone, but he was, like, supposed to be marking you, and then he was backing up because he didn't want, he was so worried about getting beat with no help behind. Right. And so he never closed that down. And so in that game, the last game at home, they had their center forward available as an option every single time. And so Pineda's looking at it and saying, oh, the press is working or not. You're like, it's laughable. Yeah. You cannot press unless you have it matched up out of the back. So one thing I will say that was really difficult about watching the Atlanta United game is I watched some great EPL games before that game. <laughs> and the level of soccer is just so good, man. Like the Leeds United game ah, and yeah. the, the Newcastle Man You don't want to make game. that bet this year? This is the year to bet on Leeds, right? Uh, yes, it certainly is. A, they're in doing really well, but two, two Americans. Yeah, well, if, if you want to call... Jesse Marsh, an American, even though he's British, you can call him American. No, two players who I are know, American. I know, I know, I know. But then you also have, what's his name, uh, Harrison? Mm -hmm. He played British. He, yeah. He's British, but he played for uh, NYFC, didn't right. he? Right. Yeah. So uh, a lot of U.S. influence on that team. Well, I say, you know, again, a one-man, you know, matchup, take away the option, allow you to press guy, Tyler Adams, uh, you know. He played fabulous in that he game. He is a terrific... The, I the, keep telling the, people this. The, the previous game, he looked a little dicey, honestly. He was, well, it's first game first or game, something. Yeah, first or second game. But he looked great. He looked great in that game. Yeah. And, He's classy. Uh, yeah. Brendan, Brendan uh, Aronson looking fantastic. Yeah, when you have... Tyler Adams being strategic about taking away things. And then you have a guy like Brendan Aronson who is just all action all the time. It works really well. Yeah. Right? Um, so who, who do you think is going to win the Premier League this year? Well, Manchester City. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> do, do, do you know why? Holland. Exactly. <laughs> he, that and guy, we're not talking about the country. I mean, we're talking about Newcastle. New Holland. Newcastle United was playing out of their shoes, right? Yep. Sir Maximum or whatever. <laughs> I mean, I was like, man, he's just going at people. You know, Miggy's having a great. I mean, Miggy scored. Yeah, Miggy yeah. scored. Like it was, it was awesome, right? Yeah. And yet, good I'm, times. I'm like, you know who's coming, baby? Erlen Holland. <laughs> and and you know, it could have been a couple. Has more. he scored in all three games so far? I yes. think he has. Yeah. He has. <laughs> he has. He has. He scored in all three. And Remember when we talked about it? I said, you know, I was exaggerating, of course, but I said, like, he could score 60, right? Dude, dude he with Kevin De Bruyne giving him service, he could score 45. I mean, how, how much is Messi scoring in his prime years? He was yeah. scoring 40, 50 goals. I could see yeah. Erling Holland in that mark for that team. I'm scared bleepless when I watch that guy <laughs> for defenders. I mean, that one where he, he shot at far post, it was definitely going in. The keeper made a fabulous save. Yeah. And got a hand on it and it hit the post and went on. I mean, the, the guy is just, he's coming. He's two footed. He's coming he's for you. big. Him. He's yeah. fast. He can score with his head. He's technical. And, and then he, he did that one. He broke through and just muscled off the defender and shot and the goalkeeper just did a fantastic job of slowing down and getting big on it and made a great save. But 95% of the time, that's an Erlen Holland goal. I mean, 
I've said this, the best player in the world. I mean, two years ago when they were saying he could go, you know, from, um, from Dortmund for like 150 million, if I were Manchester United, instead of getting Ronaldo, I would have mortgaged a house to get that guy. And the fact that you got Kevin De Bruyne, who's arguably in the top five still, of best players in the world, and you know who, servicing Erlen Holland, it's it's frightening. You know who Manchester City can thank, right? Daniel Levy, the Tottenham owner, who is stingy and crazy as hell, heck, right? Mm-hmm. He absolutely refused to sell them Harry Kane, mm-hmm. so because he wanted 120 million for Harry Kane, and they were only offering him like 90 or 100, and <laughs> so because I mean, it started a snowball, right? Because because Man City couldn't get Harry Kane, right, and he stayed, right, then they were looking at Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo, yeah. and then Cristiano Ronaldo was going to go to Man City, and then all the Manchester United old, you know, alumni are like, you can't go to them, that's, you know, that's the uh, the noisy neighbors. Yeah. So they recruited him to Man United, so that's how he ended up at Man United, it was only because Harry Kane didn't go to Man City, and then because of all that happened, that's why they were available. They didn't yeah. play with a striker last year. They still won the title. <laughs> then uh, that's why they get Erling yeah. Holland this year. And Harry Kane is a fabulous striker. I mean, he's smart, plays really yeah. well. But boy, he's no Erling Holland. Well, not only that, but Erling Holland is 10 years younger than yeah. him. He's 20. Might be the better investment. Right? I mean, 20 years old. Yeah. How is that possible? How, how, he's like a beast. He is. He, he led the champ. He, he scores over a goal a game in the Bundesliga. Basically, he scores a, over a goal a game in the Champions right. League. I mean, so here's the deal, right? So, uh, how about a bet? Since, since you didn't want to take my Arsenal, <laughs> Arsenal uh, you, you and we're gonna rebet, right? So let's get leads above Tottenham. Yeah, yeah, I lost that one. <laughs> so you're not gonna take my bet on Arsenal over Man United, which I think is a good choice on your part. So what do you think about <laughs> PSG versus uh, Man City in the UEFA Champions League final? Because look, that's a good bet. But you it's, know, it's it's a good bet. But like, who who are we betting on here? Because Neymar, Messi, and Mbappe, and then you know you got a, a bunch of other great players behind them. I mean, they are beating teams in League One by like six zero. I mean, it's literally like rec league shit that's going on. When I, I can't remember his name, which is killing me but uh when we when you were talking about who should man united get as his coach right. i said it was the guy from lille right who had won the title yeah. over paris saint germain his record is unbelievable he left lille because they were disputing or whatever but he had them they won the title they won the champions league he went to nice he had a great year at nice and now you know, Paris Saint Germain, God bless them. They only wanted Zidane and they only wanted this fancy coach and they couldn't get any of them. They still fired Ponchettino and then they're like, oh, we'll settle for him. And I'm like, you just hit the jackpot because yeah. he is by far the best coach in France, one of the best coaches in the world. And suddenly, Paris Saint Germain, that was struggling in league to win two to one, they're making it look like Mickey Mouse football. They're, as you said, they're winning seven nil this weekend. Yeah. And he's a really good coach. So, but it's all about personalities at PSG. 
Um, yeah, I was worried that you know could he handle all that, and there was a penalty kick controversy yeah. overall. But it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter because winning cures all, exactly. and he knows how to coach, and he gets them in yeah. the right spot. And when you're winning seven nothing, yeah. nobody's unhappy. Exactly. Those ego maniac. <laughs> those ego man- maniacs will be fine. But here's the deal. They no, might each score 30. It's no problem. But, but in League Un, they will. But what about in Champions League? Yeah, well, he yeah, has no experience in the Champions League, you, Don't really. you think all those problems are going to resurface once there's a tough game against XYZ, Liverpool, or whoever, you know? Absolutely. I mean, but if there's ever a guy who can do it because he's really good at organizing the team, and, you know, there's a parallel here. I mean, you hate to say Paris Saint-Germain, Atlanta United, but the parallel is that they have attacking players who are really good for the league, right? They have yeah. Mbappe and Neymar and Messi, right? We have Araujo and Moreno and Almada, and they're nowhere near those players. But for the league, I think they could be that dynamic. And so all you have to do is organize and get them up the field and match up and recycle the ball. And I didn't watch the game, but I saw some of the highlights. They're just recycling the ball. He has them so organized. Messi and Neymar and Mbappe are on the ball all the time, and they're just like, it's a free-for-all. Yeah. I think you need Joseph in that equation, though. Yeah, for sure. What you just said. It needs to be Mama because the the two guys that, you know, can play the – the C-level version of what you're saying in the MLS, right, are Arrugia and Almada, right? Both of them, I mean, you know, Arrugia obviously played for Lille. He can do it. Almada, I'm betting on. I mean, he can play those type of balls that you see a Messi or Neymar play to Mbappe, like these little chips that are, like, just on a dime. Like, both of those guys have that capability, I don't know. Maybe Carmen can look up the PSG coach, what's his name, so we can give him some credit. Yeah. But um, could you imagine Araujo, who played for him? Right? That was his previous coach. So the, the Lille coach is now for PSG? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. So he was the Lille coach. He played the interim year. So they just played Lille like last week, and they won like 6-1 to one or 7 No, to but one. he wasn't the Lille coach. He was Lille coach, he, and then he was Nice last year. Okay. He left Lille because of dispute with the owner, <laughs> yeah. like which is nuts. Right, the guy wins the title over Paris Saint Germain. Right, I would have been like, "You can have whatever. You can have the keys to the kingdom." But no, they gave him a hard time, and he's like, "I'm out of here." Went to Nice, and Nice was like relegation zone, and they didn't like contend for the title, but they finished I don't know seventh or something like that. They did way way better, and you're like, his record every single year is phenomenal. I'm like, I kept saying that's who Paris Saint-Germain should hire, and they did it by default. And yeah. sometimes fate intervenes, right? Um, you know, the, he's the current Paris Saint-Germain head coach. There he is. Christophe Galtier. Yeah. He is, uh, this guy can really coach. Christophe Galtier. He's, I didn't even, he's my favorite. He's your favorite. He really is. Okay. I, I think... So the, my least favorite right now is Thomas Tuchel. Ah, yeah, he's never been. Well, not because he's not a good coach. He is a good coach. A, I agree with he's you. He's a great coach. I don't know that he's a good player coach though. I, I don't. If I was a player, and I don't, I, I think every player would agree. I don't think they want to play for him. I don't know. Am I wrong on that, Dave? Like I think he, it's he's, and, and this isn't me being a Christian Pulisic. Homer, I feel like he's done it to a lot of players where he 
will undermine the player by the greater good, which works, right? Like you won the Champions League. So great coach, can't deny it, right? But I think you can do it without undermining confidence of players, which I think he's done in spades. And not just Christian Pulisic, but many others. I don't know if you agree with that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's fairly hard to know what's going on behind the scenes because you don't get to see things. But um, I agree with you. Clearly, from the players' reactions, he's not a players' coach. Um, you could see that even last year with Lukaku and whatever. You yeah. know, they don't like playing for him. And um, and part of that has to be, in addition to his man managing, right? Part of that also has to be his tinkering, right? C- players don't like the tinkering, right? They they. They like to have, you know, they like fairness. They like to have you earn your role. It doesn't mean you can't switch players, mm-hmm. right? It's not, you can even define a role and say, look, you're going to be our super guy off the bench, right? They'll buy into that, right, if that's the role. But when they constantly don't know what it is and they're giving you a role and it's against this particular formation and you're going to do this today and this, and you're just like, let me play. I mean, yeah, I know. And, you know, I'm a tactician, right? So I love all that. But as a coach, I know that at the end of the day, you got to get the tactics right. But then at a certain level, you have to say, let them play. It seems like it's exhausting for the players. Yeah. And one thing I should mention, I mean, you know, uh, I I certainly have no idea what's going to happen with Eric Ten Hag. But not only did he recognize tactically what the problem was and quickly fix it, but he also, in the first two losses, right, um, they got killed, right? It was terrible. They lost 4 nothing Man United in the second game. And how many coaches would have been there and thrown the team under the bus, right? And he did something interesting. First of all, he wasn't messing around. He threw the team under the bus. He was like, I would have changed all, all 11 players. And people were like, <gasps> and he said, and I would have started by changing myself because when the team loses, I'm part of that. We all lose. And when the team wins, we win. And... I effed up. Yeah. And that they're like, okay. Mm, yeah. so, so that's an interesting tactic, right? Because you're like, you could blame the team. You could not blame the team, right? If you just blame yourself and say, which is what Pineda sometimes did early. He's like, oh, I, you know, it was my fault, right? But he didn't do either of those. He didn't say it was the team's fault. He didn't say it was my fault. He said it was all of our fault. Yeah. Creating unity. That seems like a good way to end this. Dave, we talked about it all. <laughs> well, Dr. hold on one second. Oh, is uh, there an actual bet? Did y'all make a bet? Did we make a bet? No. Well, so I was trying to. Pick. Yeah. What was the alternate bet? You well, the alternate propose. bet was do you? And I'll even just play devil's advocate, whatever side you want to pick, Dave, because that's how I am. <laughs> I will take Man United over Arsenal. By the way, I'm not sure it's a great bet. Ta- you know, okay. For, as a as a coach or whatever, I would say. I don't know enough about Ten Hag to say that's a good buy or whatever, but because I'm a Manchester United yeah. fan, I'll take it. So we can we can go that bet, or we can go PSG over Man City. Well, the problem is they may or may not face each other, and there's all the different roads. Well, no, who who makes I'd it rather further? have who people, makes it further? Yeah, but I'd still rather have people in the same okay. league. All right, so right. so you're gonna take me on the Arsenal bet. Yeah, I mean, sure. I would love to take, you know, what was interesting I mean, about last team, year's so. bet, it was because it was two teams, Leeds and uh, and Tottenham, yeah. neither of which was, were supporters of. And it felt a little weird putting my Arsenal jersey on that I haven't worn in a little while. And one thing I felt strongly about 
as you, can as see. you know, uh, <laughs> Bielsa was going to wear out his welcome, right? Yeah. You know, he just has done that every single place he's done. He's run him into the ground, and as good as leads were, right, they were amazing. They were about to crash. You could see that coming, yeah. or maybe you couldn't because <laughs> you put them above um, Tottenham. That's because, well, the thing is, is, I just wanted Tottenham to lose so bad. Yeah, they're so Spursy. They're so Spursy, <laughs> and I just, yeah, I knew, I knew that the time, I knew it was winding down, but I just wanted that kind of craziness to just go one more year. Well, I'll give you one more week. You can think about it. We make it better. I'll take Manchester United over Arsenal just because that's fun. Okay, even though. I would. I'm not going to argue that I think you know my head that that's a smart. So you are going to gift me a bottle of your new wine if I win, correct? I'm going to give you a bottle of our new wine regardless. (laughs) So it's a win-win. All right, perfect. On that note, everybody gets wine on the podcast. (laughs) Well, Dave, I think we talked about it all. We did. Podcast listeners, sorry about the technical difficulties. Yeah, I apologize. But it may have been a blessing in disguise that uh, we had to reboot and, and we'll get it right next time. We'll get it right next time. All right. Thanks, everybody. Take care.